Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of Coding Fix. Hey, we've been doing this for a little while now, huh? That's kind of awesome. It's like three straight months of Coding Fix. Anyways, hi, my name is Alex, and I'll be your episode for this host. What? Uh, uh, close enough. If you're new to the show, welcome. It's super great to have you here. We talk about all things code, how to get into it, what it's like to actually be a coder, some high-level topics, as well as some increasingly low-level ones. If you have been listening for a while, hey, happy to have you back. This episode is going to be a bit different from the last few. Now, we started Coding Fix at a pretty high level, basically talking about things like what coding is, how to get into it, what to start with, and you know things of that nature. Again, pretty high level. And our previous episode was all about QA, which was a nice change of pace, honestly. It was more of an opinion piece, while also just kind of trying to contextualize what the QA role is all about, rather than any kind of deep dive or lesson. But today, we are back to diving, and we are diving very deep. We are going to the lowest level we have yet reached, and honestly, it might just be the lowest level we ever will reach on this show. And sincerely, that's really exciting to me, because our topic for today is one I actually super love. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of how computers actually work, how code actually works, what computers are seeing when they run our code, basically, or when we play a video or a game. Frankly, when we do anything on a computer, we're going to be diving right down to machine language today, my friends. We're going to be talking all about binary and bits and bytes and hex and more, so strap in and get ready. This is going to be a fun one. So, if you have ever watched any kind of sci-fi movie like The Matrix or shows like Futurama or just kind of anything that references a computer, you've probably seen binary come up before. You've probably seen it represented as just lots of ones and zeros, and while it is a cultural touchstone for us in this modern era, you know, being surrounded by computers every day and all that, um, surprisingly, binary still seems to be a bit of a mystery to a lot of people. You know, at least what it means beyond just being ones and zeros. Today, our goal is to demystify it a bit. Now, we aren't going to treat this as like a full university-level lesson with lots of examples and citing research papers and the like, because frankly, this is, this is an audio podcast. We don't have visuals to work with here. You're just kind of listening to my voice. And I can't think of many things which would be more boring than me just saying things like, okay, now if we take 00001100 and transliterate that to... Uh, yeah, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> Much the same way I don't think reading blocks of code out is particularly engaging, I can't imagine that reading long strings of binary would be either. That being said, I will still be reading some numbers out because... Well, frankly speaking, binary is all numbers, but I will do my best to keep things relatively light and hopefully not too dry. Truly. Don't worry, um, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to write anything down. There won't be a quiz at the end of this episode or anything like that. So, what's up with all the ones and zeros anyways? Strictly speaking, they are not too dissimilar from Booleans, which is one of the primitive data types we briefly talked about a few episodes back. Booleans only have two states. They are either true or false. Binary is the same way, and 
Actually, it kind of goes the other way, meaning that Boolean is actually a binary statement. It has one of two possible states that it could be in, true or false, on or off, one or zero. Binary itself is one of the simplest representations that we can have of something either being on or off. Zero means off. One means on. That's it. Lesson over. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of... Co- nah, just kidding. But fun fact, on and off, one and zero actually applies to real life well before computers as well. If you ever see the power switch on the back of a lot of electronics or like power bars or just a multitude of electronic things, you might notice that the symbols they use look an awful lot like a zero and a one. And that's because they are. Zero means off, one means on. So hey, if you ever have a power bar or whatever and you're not sure which side the switch has to be flipped to in order for it to be on, just remember, zero is off, one is on. Okay, (laughs) continuing on. So binary has two states. How can we make a whole language out of that? How can computers understand complicated logic and math and our programming languages where we are actually writing the code? Like, how can we watch cat videos with ones and zeros? And this is where we start getting into our bits and our bytes. You've probably heard the term 8-bit before or 16, 32, or 64-bit, we're kind of used to hearing those terms, especially around computers. And for a while, it was actually almost more prevalent to hear about them with gaming consoles. The NES was an 8-bit game console, and then the Super NES, the SNES, was a 16-bit one, and then the Nintendo 64 was, well, maybe unsurprisingly, a 64-bit one. So what actually is one of those bits? A single bit is either a zero or a one. But when we talk about eight, 16, etc. bits, we're talking about grouping them together. And when we start grouping them together, let's say a group of two bits or four bits or eight bits or so on, that is how we can start representing bigger numbers. Let's take a look at that, and let's start really simple. And let's approach this in terms of numbers we can actually count. Let's not go to like a billion or something like that. Let's start with our simplest one, one bit. If our single bit is set to zero, we have the number zero. If it is set to one, we have the number one. Easy enough. And that's the most we can represent with our single bit. We cannot go higher than one. So if we want to get a bigger number, we're going to have to add another bit to the group. So let's tie together two bits. Let's have a two-bit system. We start with 0, 0, which of course is the number 0. And if we want to count to 1, that is 0, 1. Now for total clarity, the rightmost number is always going to be our smallest one. So our single bit the one we started with, is on the right side. And the bigger one, which we just added, is to the left. So how do we count to two? That is one zero. Why? Why is one zero two? Now, admittedly, this is the point where us doing this in an audio format makes things a little bit tougher. You know, being able to draw this on a whiteboard for you would probably make things a little bit easier to visualize, but eh, whatever, let's keep going. So to reset there and reiterate, 
In our two-bit system, our smallest bit is the one on the right. It's the one which represents a maximum value of one. We have now counted as high as we possibly could with the smallest bit that we had available, so that means we have to turn on the next biggest one and you know turn off the smallest one, kind of like when a clock ticks over or uh, an odometer in an old car. When we're looking at binary, our biggest bit is always going to be the one on the left. So we're reading right to left. Think of it like Arabic or traditional Japanese, whatever. In the case of our two-bit system, we now have to turn on our biggest bit to let us continue counting. So our biggest bit, the one on the left, represents the number two. Remembering that every bit has two states, true or false, on or off, that means that if we are laser focusing in on just that second bit, the one on the left, off means zero, but on means two. So that is why one zero means two. And from here it gets additive. So what does one one represent? Well, our biggest bit, the one on the left, is on, so that means we have two. And our smallest bit is also on, which represents one, so we add those together. Two and one makes three. So now we can count to three. Hurrah! Though, technically, we actually have four values, because zero is a valid number. It just means we can count from zero to three. Zero, one, two, three, which is four values. Ho hopefully that makes sense. Uh, if you're still with me, great. If not, feel free to pause for a few minutes, you know, walk around, hydrate, rewind a little bit, and then come back, because we are about to get bigger, and this fundamental lesson is pretty important to understanding the rest of binary. But yeah, let's carry on. Let's set up and count a 3-bit system now, which is going to be even bigger. We start with 000, which, of course, is 0. We then move to 001, which is 1 because, remember, our smallest bit, number 1, is always on the right. We have now gone as high as we possibly can with that bit, so we have to turn on the next biggest one and flip back our smallest one to off. So, 010 is the number 2. Let's keep going. 011 is 3, which is exactly what we just saw represented with our 2-bit system back then. And now... We've reached the maximum we can there, so we follow our same rule. We want to go one higher, so that means we turn off our smallest bits, bits, plural, both of them, and then we turn on the biggest one, which means we now have one zero zero. One zero zero is our newest friend, and what comes after three? It, it, yeah, it's it's four. <laughs> one zero zero is four. So let's just finish counting this, and then I'll have another thought for you. 100 is 4, 101 is 5, 110 is 6, and lastly, 111 is our maximum. We cannot set it any higher in a 3-bit system, and our final number there is 7. Again, our highest number is 7, but we have 8 values because 0 is still a number. So to recap, we went from representing two numbers in a single-bit system, which was 0 and 1, to four numbers in a two-bit system, 0, 1, 2, 3, and now eight numbers in a three-bit one. So you might be seeing a pattern here, 2, 4, 8. Let's take a second to very explicitly define this pattern. We're going to kind of channel our inner math class here, though, though not too deep into the math class, don't worry. And we're going to talk about how binary is fundamentally 
a base2 system. By that, I mean we are working with exponents. Uh, if you don't remember what exponents are, they are basically when you have a base number, which is the big one on the bottom, multiplied by itself a certain number of times, represented by a smaller number above it. So let's use the number 3 as an example. We're going to have 3 on the bottom with an exponent of 2. So we can also call that 3 to the power of 2, which means 3 times 3. We're doing it twice, which is 9. 3 to the power of 3 is 3 times 3 times 3, which is 27, and so on and so forth. But that's base 3. Binary is base 2. So let's go back and look at it again from our smallest bit, but this time approaching it as a base 2 system rather than just counting it manually. So we set up our base of 2, which never changes, remember, base 2 system with an exponent, and we start counting from an exponent value of 0. We always start at 0. And that gives us the value 1. 2 to the power of 0 is 1. Now, why do exponents with the value of 0 always equal 1? That is more math class than I'm willing to get into this episode, so we will just call it magic for now. <laughs> so, 2 to the power of 0 is 1. 2 to the power of 1 is 2. And then 2 to the power of 2 is 2 times 2, which is 4. And hey, yeah, we can already see our pattern here. Now, remember, we had a 3-bit system, and our biggest bit, the one all the way on the left, had a value of 4. When we had a 2-bit system, our maximum value was 2, and our 1-bit one had a maximum value of 1, which is exactly what we just saw with our uh, our base 2 exponents. And to phrase that another way, it almost seems like we have an off by 1 error, but just remember, we're always starting to count from 0. So if we have our 1-bit system, that is 2 to the power of 0. 1, 0. Our 2-bit system was 2 to the power of 1. 2-bit, 1 exponent. And 3-bit was 2 to the power of 2. 3-bit exponent of 2. Now here's a fun part. Uh, so when we actually evaluate all of these, the number we get is the value of our highest bit, the one that's on the left. It's kind of a handy-dandy way that we can use to figure out our maximum possible value. So 2 to the power of whatever will always give us our biggest value, the one on the left. And it doesn't matter how big we go, this will always be true. And another truth is that this number will always be half of our total capacity. So that might not make sense. Let me just kind of illustrate it. Let's think about our 3-bit operation again, which is base 2, so 2 to the power of 2. And again, feels like off by 1, but we're counting from 0, blah, 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 blah. So 2 to the power of 2. Our highest bit value, the one on the left, if we evaluate it, is 4. And from what we just counted, we know that's true. So if it is set to 1, 0, 0, that value is 4. Now, if we set it to the maximum available, 1, 1, 1, with everything turned on, and we add all of that together, which was 4 plus 2 plus 1, which is 7. And again, we count from 0, so you can really think of it as 8. So 2 to the power of 2 is 4, and when we add everything together, we have 8 possible values, though we see the number 7 because we start from 0. So this proves our new rule true. It is 
uh, two to the power of two, or which is four, which is half of our maximum capacity. And then you know our maximum value is minus one because we count for zero. And yeah, hopefully that makes sense. If you're feeling a little fuzzy on that, don't worry, stick with me. Hopefully this next example will clear it all up. Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> okay, so we've now established a pattern. And hey, we'll, we'll say that's the rule. We cannot break this rule. So let's continue. But let's not just keep counting upwards all the time until we start running into bigger and bigger numbers. Let's go to our next size up, a 4-bit system. But let's figure out its values by using our new rule. So with our 4-bit system, which we'll use 2 to the power of 3, again, power of 3 because we start from 0, 0, 1, 2, 3 is four numbers. Uh, 2 to the power of 3 evaluates to 8. So our top bit number, the one all the way on the left, is 8. 8 times 2 is 16. Minus 1, because we count from 0, is 15. So in our 4-bit system, with all of our values set to on, 1, 1, 1, 1, that would give us a representation of 15. And I can confirm this is true. We could count it right now if you wanted, but I think that would be a little boring. So I'm just going to say that works. The rule is true, and we can actually use this rule all the way up the chain up to you know essentially infinity if we wanted. But we don't actually go that high ever. Anyways, so by using this 4-bit system, which is four numbers, 1111, we can see that we are representing bigger and bigger numbers. With just four numbers, we were able to represent the number 15. And that doesn't take up much space, you know, four numbers to represent 15 values, pretty small. And that is the foundation of binary. And frankly, also, it's just kind of why it's just so cool. Now, going back to gaming consoles, I had mentioned that the NES is an 8-bit system. So that means it is able to work with data encoded in 8 bits. So we just did four, but what's the maximum value for eight bits? We know how to do this. Let's, let's figure it out. So we want an eight-bit system, which means it's two to the power of seven. We evaluate that two to the power of seven gives us 128. Now, that is when we have the maximum value and everything else turned to zero is 128. So we want to double that. Uh, 128 times 2 is 256, and then minus 1 to include our 0 value makes it 255. So with just 8 numbers, 8 bits, 8s, zeros, and 1s, we can represent any number from 0 to 255. Now, I kind of just threw a lot of numbers out into the world there, and sorry if any of that was hard to follow, but hopefully you can have a clearer picture of how binary systems actually work and how we can represent lots of values with just a handful of ones and zeros. Also, I don't know about you, but personally, I love this stuff. Like, Even though, for the most part, we don't really code using 8-bit binary systems on a day-to-day -day basis these days, unless, I don't know, maybe you're coding for hardware, but that's a whole separate story. Anyways, I just really love the ingenuity there and how our predecessors, well, A, came up with that system, and B, made so many influential and amazing things with what we now would probably consider to be a huge limitation. You have to bear in mind, processors on computers and electronic devices from 40 years ago were not nearly as powerful as the ones we have now. 
if you think back to classic DOS and even up to Windows 3.1 machines, these systems, which we now think of as old and deprecated, were once new. And what I find particularly cool is that all of the techniques they came up with then, all of these ways of representing data and numbers and letters and everything, which were new then, have transcended to now. And honestly, this is all still very worth learning and understanding both as a history lesson, like why it was such a powerful force back then and how it brought us to the modern computing age, but it's also worth learning as a practical lesson because, frankly, computers still use binary to this day. Though, admittedly, in modern development, we rarely talk about binary anymore with you know some exceptions, things like bit shifting and bitwise operations with lower-level programming languages, but... Yeah, we don't have to talk about that right now. But there are some terms that came out of binary which we use quite a bit on a day-to-day basis. So to illustrate one of them, let's go back to bits, our building blocks, and our individual numbers which we stick together and they're able to represent the bigger numbers, right? Now, if we have an 8-bit system, that gives us our maximum value of 255. We just talked about that. And that format the 8-bit format, ends up being such an incredibly prevalent part of our workflow that it has its own shorthand name, the byte, B-Y-T-E. Now, that is a term that we use all the time, and not just in coding. Kilobytes, megabytes, gigabytes, terabytes, and petabytes, like some or all of these terms are things we hear just in everyday conversation talking about how big some piece of data is. I mean, honestly, I bet a lot of people's grandmas probably know what a megabyte is at this point. <laughs> if you're downloading a game and it's two gigabytes, or you're saving an image which is 500 kilobytes, you have a general idea of how big it is. And the byte suffix in those terms is, you know, it's just a collection of our 8-bit binary data. 8 bits is one byte. So then we add a prefix to talk about how many of those collections we've got. Kilo means we've got a thousand of them. Mega means we've got a million. Giga means we've got a billion. And tera, terabytes, mean we've got a trillion of those. So to give you some sense of scale on a terabyte, a trillion is the number one followed by 12 zeros, or also known as a million millions. (laughs) So that is a lot of bytes and even more bits. Dang. So, let's stop ourselves from looking at too big of a picture here, and let's kind of come back down to earth with our actual bits and bytes. (laughs) Also, though, actually, another fun fact, an individual number in binary is a bit, and an 8-bit grouping is a byte. But we do actually have another name for our 4-bit groups, because, you know, Two of those groups make up a byte. So what do we call them? Well, they're two nibbles, of course. (laughs) So yes, technically speaking, a byte is made up of two nibbles. So uh, I'd just like to take a second and thank whoever named that, because that is both extremely endearing and kind of hilarious. (laughs) So, okay, speaking numerically, a single binary number is a bit. 4 bits is a nibble, and 8 bits is a byte, which is also two nibbles. But Alex, you ask, 
what about the NES to the Super NES? That was 8-bit and then moved to 16-bit. Does the 16-bit grouping also have a name? Why, yes, audience surrogate, it does have a name. And its name does not follow our convention because it's not particularly hilarious, but we call a 16-bit grouping a word. Not as flashy, but that's what it is. Now, let's travel back in time just a little bit, and let's think back to the quote-unquote bit wars of the 80s and 90s with regards to video game consoles. Lots of people talked about how 8-bit was better than 16-bit because, hey, double the bits. That means double the graphics, right? Well, actually, no. It doesn't mean double the graphics. Like, even just talking about numbers, because remember, we are using a base 2 system. We get our maximum value of an 8-bit piece of data by taking 2 to the power of 7. So that gives us 128, which we double to 256, and then take one away for accounting to 0, which means an 8-bit piece of data can hold a value up to 255. So the NES could handle data coming in with values up to 255. Now... Bearing that in mind, a 16-bit word, right? Word is two bytes, uh, whatever. And that is <laughs> 2 to the power of 15. 2 to the power of 15 evaluated is 32,768. But following our rule, we then need to double that, which gives us 65,536. And naturally, we take away one value for zero, so that gives us a final value of 65,535. Now, that is a lot bigger of a number than 255, and definitely a lot more than double. Bits, nibbles, bytes, and words grow exponentially, not linearly. That exponential growth is why 8 to 16-bit is such a big deal, because it's not double, it's exponential. And that goes for 16 to 32 bits, uh, which, by the way, a piece of 32-bit data is called a long word. And, and then that jump from 32-bit to 64-bit is even bigger. And for the sake of continuity, we call a 64-bit thing a very long word. I think our naming schemes lost a bit of creativity somewhere along the way, but Regardless, 32 and 64-bit is something we tend to see around a lot more in the modern era, especially because most of our computers work on either 32 or 64-bit operating systems. Now, I'm not going to dive too deep into what that actually means, uh, speaking specifically in terms of how a processor is using 32 or 64-bits. We're, we're not going to do that, but I would like to at least preemptively answer a question. So... We went from 16 to 32 to 64. So why is it that we don't use 128-bit processors? I mean, we saw so much growth from the 80s to the 90s to the aughts with 8 and 16 and 32 and 64-bit uh, processors and operating systems. So naturally, we're going to run into 128-bit systems, right? And the answer is, well, maybe. But honestly, we don't need it yet. With how we currently move data around, we haven't even come anywhere close to exhausting our limits with 64-bit at this point. And frankly speaking, it seems unlikely that we'll even hit those limits within our lifetimes. 
So the short answer is no, we aren't going to need 128-bit systems anytime in the foreseeable future. Maybe they'll exist, maybe in an academic capacity, but for everyday devices, probably not. And to really truly describe why and to give you the big long answer for why or why not or what it would mean is, you know, it would involve diving into CPU architectures such as registers and address buses and caches and all that fun stuff. But that's a little bit beyond the scope of what we're talking about here today. So instead, let's get back to our topic. Now, at this point, we have a pretty good idea of what a bit is, what a byte is, and how these bytes carry values for us, which are represented as numbers. 1, 1, 1, 1, 0, 1, etc., blah, blah, blah. But we haven't really talked about how that is practically implemented. And honestly, also with this, diving deep into this would also be a very long conversation. So we're going to approach it from a fairly basic level and just consider some parts of it magic. All right, so at its core... We are sending these values, these numbers, these bits, and these bytes to a computer's processor, its CPU. The CPU is taking the value from our bits and bytes and words or whatever data we're grouping together and sending to be processed, and the CPU translates it. If the CPU knows that we want words back into strings, it can use protocols such as Unicode, which uses a few bytes of data and then gives us characters, like the letters of any alphabet in any language numbers, symbols, and just generally human-readable things. So rather than making us look at ones and zeros all the times, it translates it to Unicode and we can actually read it. And you know, this process of the CPU translating things applies to pretty much everything we do on a computer. Audio, video, written text, code, seriously, anything you can do on a computer is all about how the CPU is getting this binary data, and usually a lot of it, (laughs) and then translating it into whatever we expect to see. It does this really fast, by the way. And it also has the ability to split these jobs, these translation jobs, into multiple cores and threads, which, uh, consider that magic. We don't have to dive too deep into that. Um, But all of this is to say that the CPUs of the modern era have come a long way from our computers of the 80s, which could only accept, you know, eight or maybe 16-bit bundles at a time, and didn't even handle those nearly as quickly. And honestly, that kind of brings us to the end of binary 101, which I guess if we were translating that would mean binary 5, because, you know, 101. But I want to quickly touch on one other way that we have of representing this kind of data. And don't worry, this won't take too long. And it's actually a pretty cool one to know because this one is a bit more practical and applicable these days. If you have ever done any kind of front-end web development or image editing or video editing or even watched the TV show Reboot, you might be somewhat familiar with something called hexadecimal. Hex is just another way for us to represent numbers, which is a bit more concise than binary. While binary is base 2, hexadecimal is base 16. You know, hex 16. Yeah. So we don't just see zeros and ones when we're looking at hex. We see 0, 1, 2. Yes, we see twos in hex, but hey, stick with me. 
three, yeah, four, and you know, all the way up to nine. And actually, we can cross even beyond that because we need to hit 16 values. After nine, we get into A, B, C, D, E, and F. F is our highest value in hexadecimal. And if we were to count all of that up, F represents 15. And again, we count from zero. So while we have a capacity of 16, our highest actual number is 15. But just like with binary, we don't always just use a single hexadecimal value all on its lonesome. Instead, we group them together. So remember all the way back near the start of this episode when we had a grouping of two bits. If we were to count them, we start with 0, 0, 0, 1, then we have reached that maximum, so we flip to the next value and clear out the rest. So 0, 0, 0, 1, 1, 0, and then 1, 1. It works exactly the same way with hexadecimal. If we pair a value of hexadecimal values, we start with 0, 0, 0, 1, 0, 2, 0, 3, 0, 4, etc., all the way up until 0, F at which point we have now reached our maximum value that we can do with our counter there, 15, so we need to flip it over. So that brings us to 1, 0. 1, 0 in this case means a value of 16. 1, 1 is 17, 1, 2 is 18, etc., until we eventually get to 1, F. We have now again reached that max value of F on our small counter, which is 31. We flip that over, and now we're at 2, 0, which is a value of 32. And, you know, we're based 16, so every time we flip up that bigger, I'm going to call it a bit, but, you know, the bigger hexadecimal value, it, we go, we're plus 16. So we start at 16, then 32, which goes to 48, 64, 80, etc., until we finally reach our highest possible value here with two characters, which is FF. Now, with all the lessons from today's episode in mind, FF's value is very interesting, because it is 255. We have heard that number before. 255 is our maximum value for an 8-bit piece of data, aka 1 byte. So, by using hexadecimal, we can represent 8-bit values in just two characters. So that's even more efficient than bytes or 8-bit, which takes 8 characters to represent the same amount of data. And honestly, you are far more likely to work directly with hex values than you are ever likely to work with 8-bit bytes. Uh, just in general. You see hex everywhere, but like I mentioned, one of the most common places you see it is when you're working with visual data, and sometimes with audio, depending what software you use. If you are doing front-end web development, in CSS you're often setting colors with hex values. When you look at them, they are always represented with a hashtag at the start. So you can see something like hashtag 000. And we can naturally intuit there that that's a value of zero. And when it comes to color, something lacking any color in computers means it is black. So hashtag 000 is black. And our maximum values are Fs in hexadecimal. So if you see hashtag FFF, everything to the max, you see white. Now, while we do see all of these value, values in a group, they aren't actually being 
grouped together per se in the way that we expect. You know, uh, we take the smallest one, flip it up with the next biggest one, blah, blah, blah. That's not actually what this means. Each character here actually represents a value for RGB red, green, and blue. We get our full range of colors by doing mixtures of these colors. So, to illustrate this, if we wanted something to be completely red, so RGB, it's always in that order, you would say hashtag, to represent our hex, hashtag F00, F is our maximum. That sets the R from RGB to max and has a value of zero for everything else, red. Uh, for green, it would be hashtag 0F0. And then blue would be hashtag 00F. And if we move the values up together, like if we keep them all the same, like 888 or AAA or whatever, that'll actually get us various shades of gray. So, hey, another helpful tip. <laughs> also, with the color stuff, and specifically with CSS, you might actually see double the amount of numbers I just mentioned. So, a hashtag followed by six Fs instead of three. Hashtag FFFFFF. Which, <laughs> that also represents white. And the reason you will sometimes see it written that way is to give us a much better and greater resolution. By using three characters, which we did before, hashtag OOO, hashtag FFF, each part of our RGB is only using a single piece of hex data which means the maximum possible value you can have for any one of those is 15. When we have six characters, that means we are actually pairing our hex values up, and we get the equivalent of a byte, or 8 bits, for each RGB red, green, blue value. So hashtag FFFFF is actually hashtag FFFFF for red, green, blue. Now, if we wanted maximum red with this in mind, it would be hashtag FF0000. And then a maximum of green would be hashtag 00FF00, and so on and so forth. So, if you've ever gotten into CSS and you were curious what these hashtag values mean, there you go. They are hexadecimal, which is a base 16 way of representing data. And, you know, in this case, we often see them grouped up in groups of two to represent a single byte of data, which is 8 bits. And that just gives us more resolution to work with. All right. With that, we have reached the end of this fairly dense, information-packed episode. <laughs> if all of this information was new to you, I hope it helped contextualize and demystify a lot about binary, hex, bytes, megabytes, and you know, generally how computers actually work at a very low level. And if you're listening to this and you were already kind of previously familiar with all this info or even an expert, hopefully, hopefully it was a helpful refresher because honestly, I think all this stuff is fascinating, uh, important, and you know, also kind of fun. <laughs> and on a personal level, I think it's actually the most fun when you're actually doing it, like translating numbers and characters into and out of binary or hex or whatever, and seeing how it gets applied to things like the code we write. You know, and another one is how MIDI works, which that one's really fun, but it's a whole separate conversation. Uh, I recommend reading about MIDI. Anyways, no matter the case, I hope you've come away from this episode a little richer in knowledge. If you enjoy the show and you have a free moment, please leave a review. Uh, Apple, Podchaser, wherever you want. It does help the show a lot, and honestly, I love reading them. I love getting the feedback. <laughs> 
And if you want to get in touch with any questions or concerns or feedback, you know, be it positive or negative, feel free to send me a message via email over at coding at fix.space, fyx.space, or at fixpodcasts on Twitter, at fyxpodcasts. No matter the case, thanks again for listening. It is super appreciated, and I hope you have a great day. Great day.